So as you turn your Bibles now to, to Matthew chapter 10, let me do a review. For the past year and a half, we've been studying Matthew's gospel. And over the last several months, we've watched Jesus preach the gospel. We've watched him heal the sick. He has raised the dead in chapters 8 and 9. But in here in chapter 10, Jesus does something different. He provides instructions. Now, some of these instructions are for the apostles, and some are for us as the disciples. And we talked about the difference that, right? The apostles, those are descriptive for us, and the, the, the instructions for us as disciples, those are prescriptive for us. We're, we're supposed to follow those. The difference between a disciple and an apostle are the supernatural signs and the wonders that these 12 men were able to do. Jesus gave these guys the same power, the same authority over sickness, death, and demons. And those apostolic gifts died when the last apostle died. And that was the apostle John on the island of Patmos. So we really learned, we, we learned how these guys were oh so ordinary, weren't they? I mean, and yet they were used by an extraordinary God. In chapter 10, we learn that the whole reason Jesus, he commissioned, he ordained these men was to replicate himself. And now Jesus is sending the 12 out really on a short-term mission trip here. He tells them, look, guys, I want you to do this. Don't do that. Right? I want you to bring this. You don't need to bring that. I want you to preach this. And I want you to preach this message and prove it by the signs and the wonders that I've given to you. And then last Sunday, we, we discussed the reality of ministry, uh, the persecution that, that comes with believing that Jesus is God incarnate. He is God in flesh and bones. And then Jesus continued with his, really, it was an interesting commencement speech. Uh, he gave lots of illustrations last Sunday. He said sheep and wolves and doves. He warned us of the wolves, didn't he? There are three sets of wolves he warned us about. Number one, the religious leaders. Number two, the government. And number three, probably the most shocking, is our own family. Now, as a side note here, have you ever noticed that Jesus really isn't much of a motivational speaker? <laughs> Brian Tracy, he is not. Zig Ziglar, he is not. He is a truth teller. And guys, I pray that's one of the many, many reasons that you're here today, to learn the truth. The truth will set you free, and the truth will also awaken those people here in the Verde Valley that are so desperate for the truth. Well, Jesus ended his instructions by telling us, all of us as disciples here, that our work of sharing the gospel, that's not going to be done until he returns our work as the church is to fulfill the Great Commission. It is our vision statement here for River Bible Church. We are to share Jesus day by day. Now, we're not going to do that perfectly because we're sinful people, but it is our duty, it is our responsibility to strive and to share Jesus day by day. Well, as we continue our study now in chapter 10, I want you to notice how different Jesus' teaching is from the mainstream church today. Over the past 100 years or so, we've sunk into a time of easy beliefism. All you have to do is just walk the aisle. Just come as you are, baby. That's all it takes. 
All you have to do is just raise your hand and you'll be saved. All you have to do is just, just, just pray the, sign the card or pray the sinner's prayer. Now question, is that how one is saved? None of those, none of those methods, none of those means are found in Scripture. But what is specifically stated is this. Number one, we, we need to confess our wretched sin. We come before a holy God and confess our sin. And then we turn from our old self-centered lifestyle. We, we, we do a 180, right? We turn from what we used to know and we turn to Jesus, which is righteousness and holiness. Um, and we do this not on our own. That's the cool thing about it. It's all about God's grace. It is a supernatural, heartfelt belief that Jesus did exactly what he said he was going to do. And that is he walked out of his own grave after being dead for three days. And I got to tell you, anybody that does that walks out of their own grave after being dead for three days, I'm listening to. <laughs> He's got my attention. And here's the other thing. There's also a continual dying to ourselves. And this continual dying, it does something in us, right? It produces something in us. It produces good fruit and good relationships. Now, I didn't say perfect fruit or perfect relationships, but good. See, it's the dying to ourself that proves that, we, that we've been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ our Lord. And once we've been saved, Scripture, guess what, guys? It tells us that we're not that same old wretched person. We're a new creation. We've got a new heart to love God. We've got a heart to love people. Once we've been saved, we've got new priorities in our lives. The world no longer revolves around the unholy trinity of me, myself, and I. Me, myself, and I. All that goes away. It goes away slowly and painfully, though, doesn't it? Yeah. As Christians, we now sit at the feet. And this is so cool. We get to sit at the feet of our Lord and our Master and we do that by learning, applying his word to our lives. And that's why these instructions here in Matthew chapter 10 are so important for us. Learning God's word. Look, I don't care how long you've been walking with the Lord. 40, 50 years. It doesn't matter. They're new. All of this stuff is new to us. Because it's difficult for us to wrap our brains around what God is saying to us at times. Many of us going through different seasons of life right now. God is showing us many, many things. Um, at best, it can be unnerving. At worst, it is terrifying. And then speaking about being terrified, that's why we're talking about fear today. Today's passage, Jesus he tells his disciples not to be afraid three separate times. Actually, four times in three verses. 20, verse 26, 28, and 31. Now, why should we not be afraid? Well, let's find out. Let's see what the Lord has to say. If you would, please stand now for the reading and the honoring of God's word. The scripture passages will be on the screen. If you would... With one voice, just as we sang those songs, just as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, Yahweh God is one. He is one being. We too, guys, we are one church. We are one body. We are one Christ.
uh, one body of Christ, excuse, excuse me. So let's lift our voices up as, as one and read these scriptures aloud. Verse 24, a disciple is not above his teacher or a slave above his master. It is enough for a disciple to become like his teacher and a slave like his master. If they called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household. Therefore, don't be afraid of them, since there is nothing covered that won't be covered, and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. What you hear in a whisper, proclaim on the housetops. Don't fear those who kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able. Aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's consent. But even the hairs of your head have all been counted. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. It's so fun to be able to read the word of God with you guys. It just is, because these words, if we're a Christian, if we're a disciple, these words are authoritative in our life. And praise God for that, right? Thank, he didn't, God did not leave us here as orphans. He told us what to do. Thank you, Lord, for that. And because they are authoritative, these words are inerrant. They are inspired by God, which means they will never fail you. They are infallible. Please pray with me. Father, the psalmist writes, I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and he rescued me from all of my fears. Father in heaven, we want to thank you that you did not leave us here as orphans and that you, you allow us to seek your face. And not only do you allow us and listen to us, you answer us, and you rescue us from, from ourselves. And not only do you rescue us from ourselves, you rescue us from our fears. So, Father in heaven, we pray that you would teach us about this subject of fear today. Ready our hearts. Tell us what we need to do to address the fears in our lives. And all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. Thank you, guys. Please have a seat. All right, let's take a look here at verse 24. A disciple is not above his teacher or a slave above his master. So what does Jesus mean by this? I mean, this makes no sense at all. By definition, if you think about it, a disciple is a learner. He is a pupil. A disciple is a student. So a, a disciple is beneath his teacher in both knowledge and and uh, wisdom here. So it's pretty comical to think of elementary age school kids trying to teach their teacher. Right? Seven, eight, nine-year-old kid trying to teach his teacher. We've got middle school kids and high school kids, or at least try. They try to teach their teachers. And then, you know, the, the college kids today, many of them don't even live in reality. See, the authority, the authority rests with the teacher, not the pupil. And the same concept here translates to the slave and master. 
The slave is underneath the master in, in social steady, in settings. So to understand what Jesus is saying here, we got to back up to, to, uh, to last week. Remember here, as we study God's word together, context is everything. So let's back up to verse 22. Jesus says this, you will be hated by everyone. Why? Because of my name. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the other. A disciple is not above his teacher or a slave above his master. It is enough for a disciple to become like his teacher or a slave like his master. And then Jesus says this, you know, if they called the head of the house Beelzebul, hmm, how much more the members of his own household? So what's the context? The context is, is in verse 23, when they persecute you, when they mock you, when they make fun of you, when they try to hurt you, when they try to kill you, because you believe that Jesus is God. So it's not an, Jesus is not talking about education here. He's not talking about any kind of status um, or any other worldly standard. Jesus was not saying that a student would surpass the accomplishments of his, of his teacher. Now, that may, ha- that may happen in the secular world, but that's not the context. The context is persecution. So Jesus says in verse 25, it is enough for a disciple to become like his teacher and a slave like his master. Notice here that Jesus changes um, the, his terminology. He went from apostles to now disciples. So now we know he's also talking about us. Jesus makes um, a specific change to prepare us for what's getting ready to happen when we share Jesus day by day. Um, We got to know there is a fundamental animosity from the world towards us. The United States of America was the home team for Christianity for a real long time. We're not the home team anymore. Now, why does the world hate us? Because they hated Jesus. They hated Jesus first. So now, because they hate Jesus, that animosity, because we're disciples, they now hate us. It's been extended to us. John's gospel is more specific here. John 15, 18, Jesus says, if the world hates you, understand that it it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, notice the condition there, if, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you're not of this world, praise God, we are not of this world. He says, I've chosen you out of it. And that's why the world hates you. You don't belong here. This is a temporary assignment. Verse 20, he says, remember the word that I spoke to you, a servant is not greater than his master. And then here we go. If they persecuted me, they're also going to persecute you. That's the context. And then he says, but they will do all these things to you. Why? On account of me, on account of my name, because they don't know the one who sent me. They think they may know God the Father, but they do not. If they don't recognize God the Son, they will not know God the Father. Bottom line is this. 
we should not expect better treatment from those wolves, right? The religious leaders, the government, and our family uh, than what Jesus received. And Jesus presses in on this. He, he, in verse 25, he gives us this amazing illustration. He says, if they called the head of the house, so Jesus is the head of the house, if they called him Beelzebul, how much more the members, that's us, as disciples. Hmm. Beelzebul. So who is this Beetlejuice character? <laughs> who is this guy? Beelzebul. Sometimes it's referred to as Beelzebub or Beelzebub. Um, let me show you this. It's, it's, it's important to understand the history of what Jesus is talking about here. In 2 Kings chapter 1, this is really fascinating. 2 Kings 1.1. So after King Ahab's death, and by the way, that is no big loss. King Ahab, he was a, a, a wicked, wicked man. The land of Moab rebelled against Israel. And one day, Israel's new king, Ahaziah, he fell through the latticework of an upper room at his palace. He's the king of Samaria. He was seriously injured. Now, we don't know why he fell through basically a window. Um, here's some thoughts. Maybe he lost his balance. Maybe someone pushed him out the window. People were killing kings all the time, if you read through First and Second Kings. Maybe he was drunk. Or maybe he was doing the two-step with the devil. Maybe he was dancing with the devil. Regardless, he falls out this window. Verse 2, so he, that's Ahaziah, he sent messengers to the temple, and here we go. He sends his messengers to Baalzebub, which is the god of Ekron. Notice the, the, the small, the lowercase, lowercase g there, um, to ask whether or not he would recover. So this king is going to ask a false god on whether or not he's going to recover. Verse 3, the angel of the Lord told Elijah... Now, this could be the Lord Jesus, the pre-incarnate Jesus himself. He says, go and confront the messengers of the king of Samaria and ask him, hey, is there no God in Israel? Why are you going to Baal, Zebub, to ask this question? Baal, by the way, that just means Lord, lowercase l. It's like uh, Allah to a Muslim. So evidently, King Ahaziah here, he's worshiping this false god. His name is Baalzebub. Now, we don't know the etymology. We don't know the, why there's different spellings here. But basically, we do know this. this. This term turned into a reference for the Lord of the Flies. I think there's some Hebrew humor there. And it gets better because then it goes into the Lord of the flies. No, that's not disgusting enough. It's the Lord of the dung. And then it eventually turns into um, identification and symbolism for Satan himself. So that's the reference. That's what Jesus is telling us here. Uh, people are calling Jesus a demon. They are calling him the devil himself. Now, when was Jesus called Beelzebul? We see it in the Gospels here. There's a couple mentions. Let me show this to you. 
Mark chapter 3, the scribes who had come down from Jerusalem, they said, he's possessed by Beelzebul. He drives out demons. How does he do this? How does he have this power? Because he himself is a demon. John 8, 48. The people retorted, you Samaritan devil. Didn't we say all along that you were possessed by a demon? And then Jesus cast out demons at the end of Matthew chapter 9. We studied that. The Pharisees said, well, once again, guys, look, he drives out demons by the ruler of demons. So don't miss this. Key point number one, people claim that Jesus is Satan. That's the claim. Jesus is Satan. He's got all this power because he is Satan himself or he's a demon with these uh, satanic powers. So stay with me. If, the, if people call, think about this, if people call the second person of the Trinity, if they call the Son of God Satan, doesn't that prove just how far off they are in their teachings and in their beliefs? I mean, they, they're, so, they're, they're not even on another planet. They're, they're in another solar system here. And if these people are calling the head of the household, the Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, God Almighty, the one who spoke the cosmos into, into the universe, you can bank on it, guys, that they're going to call us as disciples, as the church, as Christians. They're going to call us the same thing. So, the more we look, the more we talk, the more we act like Jesus, yes, the more attractive we will be to those that God is calling to himself. But the more that we act, look, and look like Jesus and talk like Jesus, the more repulsed the world will also be. Because the world doesn't want Jesus. And if they don't want Jesus, they don't want the Jesus in us. As a side note here, the religious leaders, they make this claim that Jesus is a demon. They call him Beelzebul again in Matthew chapter 12. Jesus finally... Um, addresses this rumor that he's the devil once and for all, and it is a game changer for the Jews. So they've been saying this for a while, and because the Jews continually, right? These are the, these are the, the pastors, the ministers, uh, the, the religious leaders, the priests of, of, of the first century. And if they're calling the Son of God Satan, so finally, Jesus, what he does, he withdraws his offer of eternal life from them, and he starts to teach in parables. Now, I want you to think about that. Jesus begins teaching in a way that nobody can understand what he's saying except for the apostles. That is a remarkable shift in Jesus's ministry, and we'll get to it uh, when we get to uh, chapter 12. But back to verse 26. Jesus says, therefore, don't be afraid of them. Therefore. Um, in other words, because people will laugh at you and mock you and they may even kill you, Jesus says, don't be afraid. Don't fear. So let's define fear here. Um, very general definition of fear is to feel anxious about a person, a situation, or an event. So Jesus tells his, his apostles not to be afraid over 50 times in the Gospels. Fear is also mentioned another 60 times in the Old Testament. Now, why would God 
tell us through his word not to be afraid so many times in Scripture? The answer is because we are, aren't we? By nature, we are. So where did this human fear come from? Why are we so afraid? Well, let's take a look here at Adam and Eve and the fall. Um, Adam and Eve, they were not supposed to eat from the tree, but they ate from it anyway. Pick up the story here in Genesis 3.8. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and they hid from the Lord. They hid in the trees of the garden. Please make a note in your Bible by verse three, Genesis 3.8. This is one of the saddest verses in all of Scripture. You've got the Lord God Almighty, the Creator, coming to meet with the creation. And what's the creation do? They, they split. They, they, they run and they hide. It's, it's so sad. Verse 10, so the Lord God called out to the man and he said to him, Hey, Adam. Where are you? Where are you? I love you. I, I, I want to be with you. Where, where are you? He said, well, I, I heard you in the garden. And I was afraid. Because I was naked and, and I hid. So Adam's sin, it, it not only broke the, the fellowship that Adam had with God, but see, now fear is a natural part of the DNA for the rest of humanity. There are four um, main types of fear in Scripture. Let me show these to you. Um, can someone shut that back door? There's a glare in my eyes here, and it's a little bit distracting. Thank you, Bill. Um, the number one fear, or a fear, the fear of God, the fear of the Lord. Number two, there's the fear of man. There's the, the, the fear of, of people. Number three, the fear of the unknown, uh, meaning there's the fear of the future. And then there's also, number four, the fear of death. So let's see what kind of fear Jesus is referring to here. In verse 26, he says, therefore, don't be afraid of them. So Jesus tells us right up front, this is the fear of man. This is the fear of people. Don't fear when you tell people that you're a Christian. Open confession of Jesus Christ. Look, guys, that's a must for his disciples. There's no, there's no such thing as a, a secret service agent for Jesus. Right? There's a public confession of faith. That is the evidence of true salvation. Romans 10, 9 and 10, the Apostle Paul says, look, if you confess with your mouth, there it is. There's the confession that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, guess what? You're going to be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness. And here we go once again. And one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. So open confession, um, specifically that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, um, is key to our faith. It's also why we baptize publicly. Um, specifically at the church, right there, that, that big black thing there. I know it looks like a, a coffin, but that's our baptismal. <laughs> it looks like a coffin for a reason. 
Um, we don't baptize people in secret. We certainly don't baptize ourselves, do we? And the reason that we don't do that is because baptism is a celebration. We celebrate someone who has come from death to life. That is a miracle, guys, and it is only by the grace of God. And by the way, if you have not been baptized like Jesus, if you have not been immersed, please can come see me after, after the service. I'd like to talk to you about that. Verse 26, Jesus says, don't be afraid. This is a command. Why, why are we commanded not to be afraid of man? Proverbs 29, there's lots of reasons. Let me just give you one. Proverbs 29, 25. King Solomon writes, the fear of man is a snare. It's a bait. It's a lure. It's a trap. But the one who trusts in the Lord is protected. Look at that. You don't need to run to man to be protected. It's the Lord who protects so this fear of man, this, this fearing of what people are going to think about me or what they're going to say about me or what they may do to me, it has paralyzed all of us at one time or another. Um, you know, we, we've all got a bad case of the normals when it comes to fear. As Christians, we need to learn, we really do, we need to learn how to identify, how to confront, and how to overcome our fears. So in other words, we need to reorder our fears. We need to question them. We need to put them in perspective. The prophet Isaiah says this, Isaiah 8 verse 12. He says, all right, look guys, don't call everything a conspiracy like they do. They is, that's the world. And don't live in dread of what frightens them, what frightens the world. Make the Lord of heaven's armies, holy in your life. He is the one that you should fear. He is the one that makes you tremble. So fearing man, look, that's nothing new. Uh, we see some of our, our heroes in scripture cower because they're scared, because of the fear. Uh, let me give you a couple examples. Abraham, he was afraid of, of the king of, of Sodom in Genesis 15. Lot was afraid of the king of the Philistines in Genesis 26. Jacob was afraid of Esau in Genesis 32. Joseph's brothers were afraid of Joseph in Genesis 50. The, the whole nation of Israel was afraid as they were taking the, the promised land. That's the whole book of Joshua. Gideon was afraid of his father's family in, in Judges 6. Saul was afraid of David in 1 Samuel 18. David was afraid of the king of Gath, 1 Samuel 21. There's a lot of fear in the Bible. One of my, I don't know, favorite stories, but just something that comes to mind, speaking of fear, always goes to Elijah, the prophet Elijah. Remember, he's calling down fire from heaven. He goes all Jason Bourne on 450 prophets. He kills 450 prophets. And all this amazing, it's this example of this kung fu fighting and this faith that this man has. And look at this, 1 King 19.1. So King Ahab, this is before he dies, obviously. He told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done. 
and how he had killed all the prophets by the sword. So Jezebel, Jezebel's a queen, sent a messenger to Elijah. Look at this. May the gods punish me. Notice the small g in, in gods. May the gods punish me and do so severely if I don't make your life like one of them by this time tomorrow. So in other words, watch your back, Elijah. I'm going to get you. I'm going to kill you. That's what she's saying. And then look at verse 3. And then Elijah became afraid, and he immediately ran for his life. Wow. 450 prophets, one woman. I see that some of you can identify with that. We also see fear with the apostles, right? The apostle Peter, he denied the Lord three times when Jesus was on trial. So all that to say this, key point number two for us this morning, fear is a normal human emotion in the proper context. Fear is a normal human emotion in the proper context. Fear will save your life under the right circumstances. But fear will also paralyze you from doing what is right at the right time if you're not discerning. Jesus continues here in verse 26. He says, don't be afraid of them since there is nothing covered that won't be uncovered and nothing hidden that won't be made known. (laughs) I heard a story about this guy who just loved to play jokes on people. So uh, this, this prankster, he lived in a small town. What he decided to do is he wrote identical letters to all the leaders of uh, all the businessmen in the community. And the letters said this. This is all it said. All is known. Flee at once. <laughs> it said all 20 of those men left town the next day. Look, the point of the story is that we all have skeletons in our closet, don't we? Isn't it interesting? The kids on the video, they were talking about skeletons. They were scared of skeletons. And yet, we as adults, we're scared of skeletons in our closet too, aren't we? We all have things that we would not rather discuss with other people. We don't want people to find out. So what do we do? We do our best to cover those things up, right? It's terrifying. It is absolutely terrifying to think that that what we've concealed in the dark is going to be brought out into the light. And by the way, do you know that all of our unconfessed and all of our unrepented sin will be laid bare before God and everyone else at the last judgment? Let me show you what I mean. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 14. King Solomon says, this is the last last chapter in Ecclesiastes. He says, God will judge us for everything, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. The Apostle Paul writes this in Romans. He says, the day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's secret life. Now, 
Jesus isn't talking so much about those kind of personal secrets that we just mentioned. But he is talking about all the plans, all the plots, all the conspiracies against Christ and his people. Verse 27, Jesus goes on to say, What I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. What you hear in a whisper, proclaim on the, on the housetops. Well, in the first century, there was a lot less noise, right? There, there's no cars, there's no trucks, there's no horns, no TV, no radio, just a lot less noise. It was, it was, actually, it was actually quiet in the morning. It was nice. You could hear the birds chirp. So in the first century, what they would do is if someone had an important announcement, they would literally go to their roof. Their roof was a patio. They spent a lot of time on the patio. And then they would yell the message as loud as they could for everyone to hear. Key point number three for us this morning. Our duty as Christians is not to please people, but to proclaim God's message. Our duty, our responsibility, our obligation is not to please people. It is to proclaim God's message. Back to verse 28. Don't fear those who kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. So the second fear here, Jesus mentions, is death. We're not to fear death. <laughs> you say, well, that's easier said than done. Why are we not to fear death? Well, although it may be filled with momentary terror, guys, look, death is only temporary. Jesus goes on to say, you got to fear him. You got to fear him, that's God who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So the third fear is that of God. So for the Christian, we are most certainly to fear Almighty God. Um, and yet at the same time, our fear of His holiness and, and, and our realization of our sinfulness and our depravity, mixed with that, is a, a fear of, it involves reverence, it involves respect and, and worship. So a, a Christian's fear differs from the world's because we do have a sense of awe. Let me show you what I mean. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools, it's fools who despise wisdom and discipline. See, Christians love wisdom. We love knowledge. We even love discipline. Why? Because we don't want to remain where we are. We can't stay standing and walking with God at the same time. He is always trying, He's always conforming us and transforming us. Ecclesiastes 12:13, um, Solomon says, "Fear God and obey His commands, for this is, and here's that word again, it's everyone's duty. It's everybody's responsibility. So we are to fear God because he's the creator, right? We didn't create ourselves. We don't worship ourselves. Um, it is only the creator that has the power 
over death, which is temporary, but see, eternal life, obviously that's forever. God made human beings to live forever. And there's only two options. There's heaven and there is hell. And we know this in verse 28 because Jesus mentions it. He says, fear God, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So there's a widespread belief today that there is no such thing as hell. My question to that is, well, wait a second. If there's no such thing as hell, why does Jesus talk about it so much? He talked about it because he wants us to know that there is a very real place called hell for those who don't repent and receive the grace that he offers. It's a fair warning to everyone. The writer of Hebrews, Hebrews 10, he says, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Also, please know that, that hell is not the absence of God. Hell is a very real place where unbelievers experience the wrath of God on their sins forever. Back to verse 28. Fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Destroy does not mean annihilation. There's a, a doctrine called annihilationism, and it teaches that, that unbelievers will be eventually snuffed out somehow, that, that they will be extinguished instead of living in an everlasting conscious hell. And that is not what Scripture teaches. Let me show this to you. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, he says, God will provide rest for you who are being persecuted and also for those or also for us when the Lord Jesus appears from heaven, he will come with his mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God and those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. Look, they will be punished with eternal destruction. And then Paul doubles down. He says forever separated from the Lord and his glorious power. So annihilation, uh, annihilationism is a false doctrine. Please know that. So what does destroy mean? What's it mean then? Well, it brings us to key point number four. It means we're to fear the right thing. We're to fear the right thing. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, while the fear of men is a snare. See, the fear of death, that's pretty daunting, yeah. But what God shows us here is the fear of facing a holy God without the covering of Jesus Christ. God, guys, that is, that's far worse. That's far more terrifying. And then verse 29, Jesus asks a rhetorical question. He says this. He says, aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? And yet one of them falls or, or hops to the ground without your father's consent. So not only does the father know when a bird dies, he knows when a bird hops around. In the morning, I'll have my coffee, I'll sit on the patio, and these birds will come and they'll just hop around on the trees. How many billions of birds are there on the planet right now? He knows when they hop and when they die. So what Jesus is closing, what he's doing, he's closing his sermon here, and he's providing some encouragement. One penny would buy two sparrows in the first century. 
Sparrows were so cheap, Luke's gospel says, hey, you buy two, you get one free. <laughs> it's in Luke 12. Uh, people would buy these, they would eat them as an appetizer. What is Jesus' point with this question? Well, the point that Jesus is making is that most people think that a sparrow, it's so tiny, right? It is so insignificant that it can be bought with a penny, one of the least valuable of all coins. And yet Jesus is saying, look, guys, this insignificant tiny little bird can't even hop around without God's knowledge and permission. That's how big our God is. Because many, many times we think, well, God doesn't really care about the small things in my life. And that's not true. So if God cares about a tiny little bird hopping around, how much more does he care for his children about, uh, about the things that are going on in your life? And he cares about you because you're covered by the blood of Christ Jesus, our Lord. God cares about the details in our lives. Let's keep point number five, that God is sovereign, right? He, he cares about the most insignificant events in our lives. God is sovereign. If you look at the word sovereign there, you can see reign, R-E-I-G-E-N. God reigns, he rules, he controls, he cares the lives and the events of his children. And to prove his point here, Jesus gives one more example. In verse 30, he says, even the hairs of your head have all been counted. God's knowledge, his care for his children, it's unbelievable. It is so detailed, he has numbered the hairs on our heads. Now, the CSB translation says counted. That's not the best translation here. Better translation is numbered. And there is a difference because count, when somebody counts, that means somebody is, is, is counting what somebody else has done. Numbered points to the creator and the creator knit you in your mother's womb. Think about it. Think about your eyebrows. Why, why did God knit eyebrows? He loves you so much, he wants to keep the sweat out of your eyes. Have you ever noticed that the, the hair on your eyebrows goes up to, to prevent the sweat? Isn't that amazing? I find that fascinating. I appreciate my eyebrows. Probably because I don't have a whole lot of... I wasn't going to do a bald joke. But babe, it, it just came out. It just, they forced me... Okay. The creator numbers, he plans, right? He, he ordains, he calls, he saves. Our God is this big. He cares about the birds and he cares about your hair. He does. And, and look, I don't know if we'll ever get it. I don't know if we will ever understand God's, the depth of his love for his disciples, for his children. God not only cares about a sparrow when he dies, but he cares about each strand of hair that dies off your head as well. So what's the point here? Once again, it's God takes care of the little things. 
And if he's, if he's going to number the, the, the hairs on your head, how much more your emotional, your physical, and your spiritual well-being? So Jesus closes with this. He says, don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Once again, he says, don't be afraid. This is a command. Don't be afraid. This last fear here points to the unknown. This is the fear of the future. And the fear of the future, the fear of the unknown, it could be a lot of things. It could be fearing man, fearing death, fearing whatever. It's, there's a lot of things going when fear, uh, when we fear. Our physical bodies respond to that, right? Many times our emotions overwhelm us. Depending on the fear, we become paralyzed. We can't move. We can't make a decision. We can't even think. We can't even say, you know, why we're afraid. I think it's really, really important for us to understand that. And it's, it's important for us to, to identify the fears. Because until we identify what we're scared of, we can't confront them head on. And we can't confront them, or once we confront them, then we have to prayerfully overcome them. We want to identify, confront, and overcome. Now look, it's, it's normal to have fears, but living a life in fearfulness, that's not normal. I mentioned the four main types of fear found in Scripture. Fear of God, fear of man, or fear of people, the fear of death, and the fear of the future. The fear of the unknown. Let me give you a few thoughts here on the fear of the future, the fear of the unknown. When we fear the future, our anxiety, what it does, is it stems from uncertainty. We just don't know what's going to happen. We think many, many times something bad is going to happen, and sometimes it puts us in a mood. And it really becomes catastrophic at times to where we start convincing ourselves something bad is going to happen, something bad is going to happen, and yet it doesn't. We condition our bodies that way. So I think a very helpful tool here is, is once again to identify, to name your fears. This afternoon... List your fears. Name them. Write them down. Ask the Lord. And then spend this week in prayer asking the Lord, what do I do with this? I've identified, I've identified it. Now how do I confront it? If we don't do this, if we ignore our fears... This will hinder our walk with Jesus. Now, keep in mind that whatever, whatever the fear is, God is sovereign over that fear. If you're a Christian, God loves you perfectly. God's perfect love will drive out your fear. Ask him to do that. And that's, what, that's what's so beautiful about Scripture, right? God's, God's perfect love is captured in a book for us. So we can read it over and over from cover to cover. And, and, and why do we do that? Why did, why did God put all this in a book? 66 books. 66 love letters to us. Why a book? 
Why not more miracles? Why not more signs? Why a book? Have you found out how easily it is that we forget the love of God? So he wants us to read it over and over from cover to cover. We got to get it into our hearts and into our bones. Let me give you a couple examples. God promises his presence in Deuteronomy 31. He says, the, the, the Lord is the one who will go before you. He will be with you. He's not going to leave you, and he's not going to abandon you. Do not be afraid or discouraged. God promises his presence through his word. God is the one who comforts us. Psalm 23, 4. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger. If you're with me, your rod and your staff, they, they comfort me. God is the one who delivers us. Psalm 34, 4. We prayed, we prayed this psalm before we started. I sought the Lord. He answered me. And guess what? He rescued me from all of my fears. God is the one who cares for you. 1 Peter 5, 7, give all of your worries and your cares to God. Why? Because he cares about you. God is the one who strengthens you. You feel weak? He'll give you the strength. Isaiah 41, 10, he says, don't be afraid. I am with you. Don't be discouraged. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I'm the one that's going to help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand and then God works all things for your good did you know that you guys know that do you believe it let's look at the text here we know that huh does it say some things does it say a few things no, we know all things. Just stop. And guys, let that sink into your bones here. Get this into your heart. All things, regardless of what your fears are. Maybe you're scared of, of health issues. Maybe you've just been dealing with so much pain and, and you, don't, you don't know. God's going to work that out for your good and his glory. Maybe it's finances. Maybe you don't know how you're going to pay the mortgage this month. We know all things work together. Maybe it's your family. Maybe you got kids and grandkids that are unsaved and you're like, this world's getting crazier and crazier. Look, we know all things. God's got it. He is sovereign. He rules and he reigns. He's got it. We know that all things work together for good. Ah, here's the kicker for those who love God. Do you love God? Do you love Jesus? Is he Lord and Savior? Have you confessed him? Do you believe this with your heart? Who are called according to his purpose. And by the way, you didn't choose God. God called you first. He chose you, and you received his grace. Let me wrap up with three, three things here. God has created people. 
He's created all of us with, with three inner needs. Love, significance, and security. All three of these are found in Scripture. And if any of these are damaged, we may be fearful in this particular area. So love, we got to have people in our lives that love us. And not just love us, but love us unconditionally, who put up with us. We got to have, we got to be surrounded by people who not only tolerate us and are kind to us, but love us. They've got to be committed to our best interest. And that's where grace comes in. We, we, we. We don't let the, the minor things get in the way of a loving relationship. Number two, significance. God has created all of us. We've got to know that our lives mean something here in the Verde Valley. Our, our lives got to have a purpose. If our lives are meaningless and, and purposeless, then what's the point? No, we're, we're here for something so much bigger than ourselves. And then security, we have got to know that we're protected. We got to know that someone is willing to die for us, to protect us. That's where that love comes in. Love, significance, and security. So let me come full circle here. Jesus is not telling his apostles and us as disciples this morning why we shouldn't fear. For one reason. It's not to become a better person. And it is not to go out and chase personal dreams. We don't do this to build up our, our portfolio. We do this to fulfill the Great Commission. It's the one thing that Jesus told us to do before he left. So if you're someone who loves Jesus, but you're fearful to share Jesus... Um, let me just say this, I'm going to be um, having a special Bible study in the spring on fear, and it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to, we're going to go through what scripture says about fear and how to confront it. So if that's a, if that's a concern to you, uh, please make a note of that. Well, Father in heaven, um, it was a big text today, big passage today about fear and Lord, I pray that we do reorder our priorities. I pray, Father, that we would take the time to write down our fears this week, that we would bring them before you, and that we would be able to listen and address these things in our lives, and to realize that many, many times fear is a liar. It is a liar, and it, is, it keeps us in bondage. So, Father, we pray that you would break those chains, those strongholds in our lives that are keeping us back from sharing the gospel. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Amen.